So, hello, Mike. Um, what interests me, how you started with Java? So, uh, are you a programmer, developer? What was your first line of code? Oh, gosh. Uh, so, yes, uh, definitely I was a developer uh, in, in the past. Uh, but I started my, I have a very sort of odd career path. I actually, my first degree was in business. Um, so I have a commerce degree, but even as I, as I was finishing off that degree, I realized that I loved, uh, programming and being a developer more than, um, more than business. And I, I went, uh, after a couple of years of, um, uh, working at Bell Northern Research, I went back to school and got a master's in, uh, uh, master's in basically in software engineering and did a career change in the late eighties. And, uh, so in terms of programming languages, I've professionally programmed in, uh, gosh, uh, <laughs> COBOL and APL going way, way back. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I spent most of my career as a developer working in small talk. Um, so when Java came along, I was uh, I had had years of object oriented experience and working with a virtual machine based language, uh, and really understood um, that kind of technology well. Uh, but by the time, but also by the time Java came along, I had started transitioning my career away from being a developer to being more of a product manager, and and then later a business development um, business development guy. Uh, and uh, so, in terms of uh, professional interaction with Java, I think. Probably the, the the first real uh, the first real one was I was the uh, uh, strategy manager for Visual Age for Java back in the late '90s, and uh, that was when I was uh, sort of first uh, really involved in in Java. Then I worked at WebGain, uh, which uh, had WebGain Studio based on Visual Cafe, uh, and then ended up at Oracle, where I was uh, leading a team in, uh, in engineering involved in the Oracle application server. Uh, development. And then for the last 14 years, I've been at the Eclipse Foundation. And uh, were you also involved in with Toplink at Smalltalk site? I was. Uh, actually, uh, and even at WebGain and at Oracle, I mean, I actually have a, a business card in a drawer somewhere that says Vice President of Toplink uh, um, back in uh, the early days of WebGain. So that would have been around, say, 2000. And yeah, so the the people, the first developers of Toplink, um, uh, Wayne Beaton is actually one of the. It works on the staff of the Eclipse Foundation. He and um, uh, John Hyland were actually the first two guys who developed the original version of Smalltalk Toplink, and then later on, uh, guys like Alan Knight um, and uh, Dennis Leung uh, at the Object People uh, were at uh, uh, worked on Toplink. And yeah, I actually worked for a couple of years at the object people um, and uh, was part of, and that we got acquired by WebGain in 2000. And I worked at WebGain from 2000 to 2002. That's interesting. I interviewed Sean Smith about serverless and uh, persistence. He also reported to working with TopLink and object people. You know, Sean? Yes, I know Sean very well. <laughs> oh, that small world, right? Uh, yeah, well, it, Sean is part of the uh, the Canadian cabal that secretly runs the Java world. Ah, okay. So, uh, so uh, Canada rules again, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> there's, it's, it's funny. Like, so uh, in the Java ecosystem, uh, uh, just here in Ottawa, where I live, uh, so guys like Donald Smith, who's the senior director of 
um, Open JDK product management uh, is based in Ottawa. Uh, and on the same side, then uh, John Dwimovich, who was IBM's CTO for runtimes and was the guy who uh, led the development of uh, what is now op- the Open J9 virtual machine, is also based in Ottawa. So there's actually uh, quite a few uh, quite a few things happening locally in the that are you know pretty central to the Java ecosystem. I think John delivered keynote at the Java One. I think right. This was the guy. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the same. Uh, time. Yeah. And I think James Gosling is also, also from Canada. Is this, is it true? Uh, yeah, he actually f- did his first computer science degree at the University of Calgary. Yeah. So he's yes, he's Canadian. So this is a crazy world. So like, you know, Java is eighty uh, percent Canada. <laughs> uh, these days, it see it feels like it's eighty percent German, but okay, sure, okay. it started in Canada. How about that? <laughs> What's also funny? So you you said you have, you worked with uh, Visual Edge for Java. So I also uh, used Visual Edge for Java, and it was completely different than all the other IDs because yep. you, uh, you were only able to see you know one method at a time. So it was like you you there was no easy way you know to print out the source code of the whole class, for instance. And I also had to work with um, Visual Cafe for Java as well. So I also used that. So really enjoyed that. And back then, I think Visual Cafe for Java had the unique opportunity or possibility to convert Java to binaries. So there was like a built-in feature where you can just create you know, um, a, a Windows application from the Java code. So I remember that. Ah, interesting. Yep. Yeah. And yep. um, what's also interests me, uh, it seems like you really liked OSGI. So I'm just curious... Um, your uh, OSGI love was it more as a platform level or application level? Uh, it was more actually the the interaction that I have with OSGI is primarily based on uh, the experiences that we've had with it at the you know with the Eclipse IDE and then the Eclipse various Eclipse Eclipse runtimes that were built up around it, and so um, at, at my at the at the core, I'm a very pragmatic person. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why I like OSGI is because it's, it really did help solve a, a particular problem for, uh, for the Eclipse platform and for the Eclipse ecosystem. And it was right around the time that when I was starting at the Eclipse Foundation, when, uh, so I started the Eclipse Foundation in early, uh, sorry, late May of 2004, and in June of 2004 is when Eclipse 3.0 shipped, when that was the version that uh, <clears throat> that uh, trans- transitioned from having a homegrown plugin model to an OSGI-based plugin model. And that, uh, that transition was happening right around the time when I was first starting um, at the Eclipse Foundation. And so I was kind of immersed in the, the world of possibilities around OSGI. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as, you, as you've seen with, you know, the 14 years since, um, you know, there's, now there's Jigsaw and, the, uh, and the, the platform modularity story. And, uh, you know, it's... it's a lot of people get very religious about these various pieces of technology, and that's not particularly my style. I am more of a, like I said, more of a pragmatic person. But ultimately, you know, I think OSGI um, has its difficulties, not because there's anything inherently wrong with the technology. It's because it's hard to modularize something which uh, is didn't start that way. And uh, so a lot of people have frustrating experiences when they take a large monolithic application and try to break it up into, into modules. And uh, certainly a lot of the times I've read people complaining, and I, I suspect uh, you even we're going to see this as people start taking on the, uh, 
the platform modularity story as well. It's just like taking apart a large monolithic uh, piece of code and actually trying to stitch it into a useful set of uh, components is difficult. And you see that with people grappling with microservices as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's also my opinion. So SGI is fine for you know cases where you have the different version of a module. And the problem I saw is, you know, there are lots of talks about OSGI and modularity and just the enterprise architects listen to the talks and try to apply, you know, the ideas from platform development like IDEs or application servers to business applications. And and there, what I saw recently is like uh, one war containing, uh, I would say, 30 jars and all having the same version. And I ask, you know, when you need modules then if you ship everything at once? It's just, you know, there is no added value. So, um... OSGI is fine if you have the, the use cases and you shouldn't just modularize because you can. Well, you should. Well, that, that's generally true of all technology, yeah. right? You should, you should use the technology that actually helps solve the problem at hand. Uh, but, you know, using technology because a particular type of technology, because it's the style of the day or because your boss read about it in a magazine is been one of the constant sources of frustration for developers forever, right? I mean, um, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, use it use it when it's appropriate and uh, don't use it when you don't need it. Perfectly. And uh, you started the Eclipse Foundation in 2004? Uh, no, actually, so I'm, I'm the first executive director, but it was actually started before I got here. So the bylaws were done, the membership agreement was done, you know, all of the basic framework for, uh, the Eclipse Foundation was done when I when I got here uh, when I when I when I was first hired, but the uh, I would say that you know what what ha- what what I started with was sort of a template or a plan for what the Eclipse Foundation um, would could be, mm-hmm. and you know through fourteen years of my particular style of doing things and particular personality, I think has helped shape. Um, the way that the Eclipse Foundation has evolved and, and the way the Eclipse community has evolved over the years. Um, but uh, no, it, it wasn't that I created the Eclipse Foundation. Uh, it's just that I was the, the first executive director. Okay, got it. And now shifting to, gear, to gears to Jakarta and E4J. So uh, can you tell us um, when Oracle approached the Eclipse Foundation? When was it around? So a rough time. Uh, it was almost... It was almost exactly, uh, well, like 11 and a half months ago. It was, as I recall, I, I got a text message from uh, Mark Cavage, uh, who was the uh, uh, VP at Oracle at the time, mm-hmm. uh, saying, uh, I, you know, hey, can we get on, can we hop on a quick call? And I was actually on vacation, <clears throat> um, sitting at my lake house, uh, exactly where I was, where I am at the moment. And uh, so we connected on the phone and he asked me, hey, if, you know, if we were, uh, thinking of open sourcing Java EE, um, you know, would the Eclipse Foundation be willing, you know, would the Eclipse Foundation be willing to take that on? And uh, my reaction was, yes, absolutely. I think it would be, uh, I think it would be great for the technology, great for the community. And uh, it would certainly be a great opportunity for the Eclipse Foundation. Okay. And the EE4J name, which was uh, controversial at the beginning, was it your idea or Oracle ideas or what about the EE4J? So I guess, I'm not sure if it was my idea. We talked, a whole bunch of us talked, we're talking about various I names on the phone I, at the, at the early onset. Okay. I, but just, 
just to talk about that for a second, I think part of the reason why well, I even there's a, I ever wrote a blog post about this is, is part of the reason why um, people reacted negatively to the EE for J name is because they, there was confusion and I have, I, you know, I have to bear some of the responsibility for that confusion because obviously I did a poor job of explaining it, but there was some confusion around what that name meant. So EE for J is simply the name of the top level project at Eclipse. It's sort of like a, uh, an organizational artifact of how the Eclipse Foundation works. I and mean, we have top level projects, they need names. Uh, oftentimes the names are uninspiring acronyms like <clears throat> EE for J. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but people, when the, when the name first came out, people thought that was what we were going to use as the brand, which, you know, which was never the intent. We always knew that there was going to be some other name that was going to be the brand. Um, this was also but, not clear to me. So I also was very negative. And then you wrote the post. It was around yeah. Java 1. And then I got it immediately because it was some uh, legal issues with Oracle. I think it couldn't be Java or something like this. So I said, okay, I got it. If it's pragmatic name, so it's perfect. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I'm thrilled with both the name and the logo that we ended up with. Yeah. Uh, I think Jakarta EE is a great name. Um, you know, props to the Apache Software Foundation for, you know, being willing to let us use it. Uh, I think that it's sort of, it's a nice nod to the, er, you know, the past of, uh, of the, or say the early days of, of Java and the excitement that was happening around that time. Uh, and the logo, I think, is 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 awesome as well. I'm, I'm so, it, it was um, a lot of emails and a lot yeah. of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, Community, uh, let's say, community passion. How about that? Yeah. Uh, but in the end, I think where we ended up is is a great spot. I, like I said, I, I absolutely love the name and I love the logo. So I'm, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Was it your idea with Jakarta? No, no, absolutely not. I Actually, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but, you know, we had that GitHub issue where people were nominating names. And mm-hmm. so somebody somebody on that on that list threw out Jakarta. And then I think uh, it was David Blevins from Tommy Tribe ah, okay. uh, sort of jumped on and said, hey, yeah, this is a great idea. And he introduced us to the right folks at the Apache Software Foundation. And he wrote a blog post about it would be a great name. And yeah, so it was, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, but it was, no, it was definitely not my idea. As I saw the name Jakarta, I knew it would win. It was just brilliant. It was like came out of nothing. And I remember the jakarta.apache.org, you know, the home of Tomcat and all the other tools. And I said, yeah. this is just a really brilliant move and this will win. And the logo is also, I like it a lot. It's is a lightweight, <laughs> I would say, yeah. logo, yeah, which color- is perfect. Yeah, it's colorful. It's modern. Yeah, no, it's, I'm very happy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what I'm wondering, would it be possible to rename EE4J to Jakarta E to have no less confusion, just one name? Uh, no, and here's why. Um, Jakarta is the brand. Okay. Uh, so And so just like, you know, um, there are technologies out there that are built on Java but don't have the Java brand because for whatever reason they don't have the TCK license or the trademark license or so mm-hmm. on. There are there are trademark considerations around Jakarta mm-hmm. um, that we that we have to that we have to set the systems up to properly support, and so um, and the other thing too is to remember that 
the implementation of Jakarta at the Eclipse Foundation, which is based on Glassfish, is one of many implementations under this new approach. So we don't, we're consciously being sensitive that we don't want um, to, to signal that Eclipse Glassfish is somehow more special than Apache Tomcat or, or um, WebLogic or JBoss. I mean, so we, we don't want to grab that Jakarta name and use it in a way at the Eclipse Foundation that nobody else can use it as. So that's, that's part of the reason why, you know, uh, but to roll back and ask the question differently, or now that we have Jakarta EE uh, and everybody has gotten comfortable with the name, at least in my experience, you almost never see anybody using the EE for J name anymore at all, which is the way it should be. The yes. EE for J, EE for J is just the, like the PMC at the Eclipse Foundation. And so so for me, it's like the E4J would be the SPI service pro, uh, uh, pro, provider interface, and this API would be like well, the spec, the brand, the Jakarta is it's most like that, right? Well, you're not. You're, you're, I don't even think you're going to see E4J anywhere in the namespaces. What I'm expecting to happen is that the the APIs, uh, the new APIs, would be called uh, something Jakarta. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't. Maybe EE dot Jakarta or. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Dark Jakarta or something. We haven't even figured that out, but that's what the APIs, new APIs will be called. Mm-hmm. And the implementations would be the at the, at the Eclipse Foundation would be uh, perhaps org.eclipse.classfish or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so it's, I'm not even sure you're going to see EE4J anywhere in the namespace. No, it's like it's, the EE4J is like the container of enterprise projects and it could be more yeah. than Jakarta E. There could be Theoretically, pro- yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, uh, we, you know, uh, I could imagine Eclipse J No SQL moving under the EE for J top level projects. Exactly. Um, you know, and that could happen in advance of doing the spec. It's just because, hey, we're sort of interested in enterprise Java kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We think we should be under this top level project, and mm-hmm. that would be fine. And um, yeah, of, of, about the scale. So, how big is Jakarta? E? How much time occupy actually Jakarta e in your, you know, in in your working day? Gosh, these days a lot. Okay. Um, so uh, I wouldn't even. It's probably consuming at least fifty percent of my time. Okay, so it's a serious Eclipse project, actually. Oh, absolutely. Well, but the the thing that oh, so well. Actually, the part that's consuming my time isn't actually what you probably think it is. Um, and let me explain what I mean by that. <laughs> the, the open source project part of Eclipse, uh, of Jakarta is coming along really well. So the, co- the code contributions are coming in. The PMC is up and running and functional. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff is actually going pretty well. Where my time is going is in... Um, Spending lots of times, uh, lots of time with uh, Oracle lawyers and stuff like that, working on setting up the specification process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where, uh, and all the legal work with Oracle in terms of transferring trademarks, um, you know, trying to figure out how much of the existing um, uh, existing 
trademark uh, the Java X namespace and the rules of, around what we can how we can evolve that in the future. Um, being able to the trademarks about being able to take on the existing uh, Java uh, APIs, you know, Java messaging service, mm-hmm. you know, these kinds of things. Anytime there's the word Java in it, um, the Oracle lawyers. Um, have questions about what we're going to do with it and how we're going to evolve it and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's where I'm spending my time. The, the, the open source stuff is working great. It's the, it's the stuff that hasn't been done yet around replacing the JCP for this technology moving forward. Yeah, there is an um, E4J project bootstrapping status page and the status looks actually pretty well, so pretty good. There are lots of projects yeah. at three projects at 100%, I would say, 60% of the projects at 80% and there are some you know JPA is uh, not that but because it's like progress 20% but i think uh, this is different to eclipse link so JPA the specification is different to eclipse link which is the implementation right yeah so all as i recall all that project is is the um basically the the jar file with the uh, interfaces in it exactly and uh, i i I, I I read on the mailing list that there is some drawback happened with the spec contribution by Oracle. Um, is it uh, is it over with the JCP spec contribution, or could it be reverted somehow? Uh, I'm I, I sorry I, I'm not. I some of this stuff is so specific. Okay. So the the so the question is I think what you're asking is. You read on the mailing list that not all of the, speci- the specification documents are going to be directly contributed to the Eclipse Foundation, so exactly. that the community can evolve them. Yeah, and and so so that has always been true. Okay, um, Oracle has been saying that from day one. Um, and so uh, what I what we don't know yet is, as I understand it there are going to be at least a few specifications that they can contribute the documents to us and can be evolved. But a lot of the, uh, a lot of them can, will not be. And then what, we're, what, what is still very much an open question is exactly what can we do with those specifications? So for example, could we um, create a new version of the specification that points to the old version of the specification from the JCP and say, here, here's the Delta. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those, so there's, and the answer, and, and the thing about it is we don't know the answer to that question yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I say and that's a, a perfect example of the kinds of things which are consuming a lot of my time, um, moving, moving this, this forward, the open source stuff is actually doing really well and is, is very straightforward it's the specification question and what we're going to be evolving, how we're going to be evolving, be able to evolve it. That's what is still very much, um, you know, so a set of open questions or open issues at the moment. I have a question about that. So how it works? Is this like Oracle would like to contribute the specs and then the lawyers are reading, you know, the, I don't know, the legal stuff around the specs and say, yes, we cannot do this because this and this happens or like, uh, this is something like this. So yeah, it's so I don't want to speak for Oracle, but yeah, no, no. it's something it's something like that. It's like it's it's sort of like um, they want to they want to they want this to move forward. They're you know the business people, the engineering people that we work with definitely want to see this move forward. But some of these specifications are really old. Uh, 
mm-hmm. right? So, and so they're, uh, you know, they want, they're looking at, okay, we have uh, a document that was co-authored by a bunch of people, uh, you know, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Do we have all of the paperwork in place that says that there's no way that somebody could sue Oracle if they can, if Oracle contributed that to the Eclipse Foundation and they're, the lawyers are looking at that and going, well, maybe yes, maybe no. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much time you've spent with lawyers, but uh, yeah, yeah. lawyers, yeah, they spend a lot of their time thinking about all of the things that could possibly go wrong. So this, this, this uh, actually a similar situation to if someone would like to change the license of an open source project, you will all, also have to ask, you know, all the contributors, right? It's something like... It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, as I understand that the concern from the Oracle legal people, it's, it's very much like that. It's okay. like... You know, if, if it's basically, yeah, if if people gave the J, you know, a license under the JCP process, mm-hmm. you know, to what degree could they relicense that in a way usable by the Eclipse Foundation? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's it's it's and those are those are extremely difficult questions to answer, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, of course, like, yeah. It's it, it's it's. So the lawyers would like to have it bulletproof so that afterwards no one can sue Oracle, right? This is the this is the idea actually. It's not, yeah, and maybe or maybe maybe not even use the word sue. They want yeah. to make sure that they haven't, you know, yeah. misappropriated anybody's contributions or done something with yeah. a contribution that happened under the JSPA or at the JCP in a way that is counter yeah. to both the spirit and the letter of the agreements that were in effect at that time. Okay. Now, something more pragmatic. So let's say I would like to contribute something in one of the projects. So what I did before is I, before Java 1, actually, before E4J, I contributed some code to the JSON B and Yason project. So and I had to sign the Eclipse, uh, how it's called? Uh, like Eclipse, Eclipse contributor. Yes, exactly. So now I'm ready to go, or there is something else to do for me in order to contribute nope. to or to participate in the open source projects. Well, there's, projects. There's, yeah, there's two. There's sort of two levels of contribution, right? Mm-hmm. There's a contributor. Mm-hmm. So a contributor is somebody who has signed the Eclipse contributor agreement and is contributing, say, some patches or some uh, some you know features or so on. Um, but they're not, but they, those features have to be reviewed and included by a committer on the project, mm-hmm. right? And then the second level of contribution is you are nominated and voted in by your peers as a committer on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, when you, if you're a committer on the project, then there's an additional piece of paper that needs to be signed, um, depending on and it, there's two two versions depending on whether or not your employer is a member of the Eclipse Foundation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in your specific case, you are good to go to contribute bug fixes or suggestions to the Eclipse projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you you know did a bunch of those and um, the committers on the project uh, like like your contributions and think that you're making you know doing great work, then they can nominate you to become a committer and then then there's some committer paperwork that needs to be done. Okay. Right, and the one thing, the one thing I'd like to also point out um, is the Eclipse contributor agreement is different from most contributor license agreements because the Eclipse Foundation itself doesn't get any rights to your contribution. 
Um, so that, that's actually different, right? I mean, if you look at, um, you know, the Apache Software Foundation, you give the, the ASF a license to the code, the FSF, you actually can uh, um, assign the copyright, the, um, the OCA, if you want to contribute to OpenJDK, means that Oracle has joint ownership of all of your contributions. The Eclipse Foundation is, it, the, our agreement is very, very lightweight. It just simply says that you understand that you're contributing under the open source licenses of the project, and that's pretty much it. Um, and so, and we and we want to have a, uh, some record of who you are in case uh, there's ever any questions about your contributions, and that's it. I'm a freelancer, and so as I also understand, there is another way to support the Eclipse project, like a member, right? I could also be an Eclipse member, but I will yep. have to pay something, right? So there are different memberships levels, and so. Well, yes and yes and no. So the first thing to understand, let, let's say you're as a freelancer, you become a committer on an Eclipse project. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you want to, um, for example, run in the elections for uh, to become part of the steering committee of the Jakarta EE working group, mm -hmm. or even of the board of directors of the Eclipse Foundation, you can actually sign, you know, it's you sign the exact same membership agreement that Oracle and IBM signed. And you become a committer member of the Eclipse Foundation. Mm -hmm. So the Eclipse Foundation has this nice little hack in its bylaws that um, uh, we, we are set up as a trade association and we are member driven. Um, but our committers are members too. And so the, the, I and the staff of the Eclipse Foundation, if you read this right in the very first paragraph of the Eclipse Foundation bylaws, we have two roles. One is, is to make sure that our committers and our open source projects are well-functioning open source projects. And then the second one is to help establish a commercial ecosystem around those projects. Mm -hmm. So the, the point that I'm making is it's actually not true that you have to pay money to become a member of the Eclipse Foundation. If you are a committer, you can become a member, um, an individual member of the Eclipse Foundation as well. Mm -hmm. Now, on, on, the, on the organizational membership side, there's four different tiers of members. Um, but for example, um, the uh, the uh, London Javan community uh, joined the Eclipse Foundation as a solutions member, but because they don't, they're quite small and they have few staff. It costs them fifteen hundred dollars to become a solutions member of the Eclipse Foundation. So the, the entry level uh, fee for uh, you know a single person company or a small company is is very very low. Of course, the big companies are paying a lot more money, and particularly the strategic members like Oracle and IBM, they're paying $250,000 a year, plus they have to lead an Eclipse project, plus they have to have at least eight people working on Eclipse projects. Okay, so one of the FAQs, you know, the cadence in which the versions of Jakarta E are going to be going to happen and this is uh, still not uh, resolved and I think this is going to be discussed in the Jakarta EE PMC in the top level project, right? Uh, the release, well, it could, I think there could, no, theoretically, so the first yeah. answer is yes. The mm -hmm. first answer is yes, that's the right place to have that question, uh, is in the uh, EE for J PMC. Mm -hmm. um, but the second, the second part of that answer is it is theoretically possible that we could have a different cadence between the specifications and the implementation. So the thing to understand is that is the EE for JPMC um, has Glassfish plus all of the specification uh, jars, mm -hmm. the interface jars under its domain right now, and 
Um, we'll probably also run the specification projects once we get the specifications uh, process going. But the, it, it, um, that cadence is going gonna, is gonna to be set by the, by the, by the community and, um, and by the committers and so on. To be really and to be very specific, the Eclipse Foundation itself doesn't have an opinion on how often its projects should ship. So it's they are going to just it's not something not something that we particularly care about. It's going to be something that the community is going to establish, and they will do so uh, openly and and publicly. And and there'll be I'm sure lots of debate about what's the right right what's the right cadence. Uh, you know, but but who will right decide at the end? There should be a voting uh, so, process or there should be one, you know, dictator or what group of dictators or just community, the majority or what's how it happened, actually. Ah, OK, so that's a good point, because that's a gen the in general, um, what how all decisions happen at the Eclipse Foundation is ultimately it's the committers that decide. So the one of the things that the word community gets used a lot in our world, of course. Right. Um, and, and then there's the question is, okay, so who are the sort of the voting members of the community mm -hmm. and they, and, and in, in the eclipse, in the eclipse context, votes happen amongst the, the, the members and the committers, mm -hmm. um, a, you know, somebody who downloads Jakarta EE and is part of the Jakarta EE community um, can express their opinions on the mailing lists and mm -hmm. make suggestions and, and contributions, but they don't get a vote. Mm -hmm. So it means uh, the what you should do as a member and you would like know to improve the world, you should provide patches, documentation, then you could become a committer and then you can vote with one vote against the or against the other committers. And yeah. if your idea is good, then your idea will go through, right? That's that. That, that is the essence of the kind of meritocracy that we run at the Eclipse Foundation. Yes. And this is a little bit different to JCP because back then we had the, like, the Java E umbrella spec. And if you were you know, not committed but member in the umbrella spec, you could decide how, you know, uh, how the, what comprises the specs. Of course, you couldn't usually, Oracle or Sun could, but uh, this was the in theory. This is the difference, I think, between Jakarta E and the JCP, right? Well, it, it's it's a different way of doing things for sure. Um, and the way that we're planning on doing the spec process in the future. And as I mentioned earlier, we still have lots and lots of work is we, um, the, the equivalent of the expert groups um, for specs moving forward are going to be basically open source projects. And so when I say committers, you might be a committer on a spec project. Um, and there, I suspect that eventually there is going to be a spec project for the, uh, for the platform. And there will be committers on that project that are ultimately going to be making decisions that impact um, a wide variety of projects. Um, so that's, that's, but the path to become part of that decision-making process is absolutely by becoming a committer and making contributions. And um, uh, that's how you get an opportunity to be involved in these discussions and, and have a vote. Okay. So this is actually a good sign. It's a very pragmatic way, you know, to contribute something. So you have to show that you have actually the skills and then you can vote, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, there's lots of different ways to do things, but... Um, 
we this has been a model that's been very successful with lots of open source communities. Uh, it's it's not that different from say how Apache works, for example. Exactly. Um, so it's you know this it's a, it's a committer based meritocracy um, that is that makes the decisions. And how to introduce a new project? Let's say I would like to have a crazy idea and I would like to enhance Jakarta E with something different. So um, what would be the process? Well, so down like down the road, once we have the spec project and so on going um, and we're, we're, we're done all of this, uh, these lawyer, these legal t conversations, the way you, you would do that is you would propose a project um, at Eclipse, or uh, and you would say that you know ultimately you can say we would like to be part of the EE for J PMC because ultimately we want this to be part of uh, Jakarta EE, mm -hmm. and it will be up to the PMC to decide um, whether or not it can be part of the EE for J PMC. It's possible that they say, well, might say, well, your idea is so crazy, go incubate it over at the technology PMC for a while, and then come back to us when you've actually got something working. Okay. Um, that, you know that 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 could you know that could be how their position. But on the other hand, they could say, "Yep, come on in." Um, and so, one of the things that we're trying consciously trying to do here is to change the culture of how the Jakarta EE platform is evolved to be code first as opposed to spec first. Mm -hmm. Like, if I, it, you know, I've been around the the Java EE world for a long time, and and when I think of the the some of the big mistakes that were made, especially early on, it was because in my view, um, there was times where people focused on creating specs without really demonstrating that there was a, that there was, that this was the right solution for the problem at hand. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, I think, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, let's go, let's pick on um, stateful session beams. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was a bad idea that was, but somebody wrote a spec for it and in it went. And then, so there was, you know, years of implementing this and supporting this and wasn't Let's necessarily say, uh, the most useful thing to do. Remote and, entities. This is more yeah. obvious one. <laughs> yeah. And so there's, uh, there's what we're, what we would like to do is to have, uh, build a, uh, a process and a community where people try things out in open source mm -hmm. first. And once you've demonstrated that two things, one, you can make it work and two, that people care about it, mm -hmm. right? That there's people actually using this in building real applications. And then you write this, then, then you start working on the spec. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a code first community as opposed to a spec first community. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, that's one of the things that we definitely, uh, we definitely want to help drive this, um, And I think drive this forward. And I, I really do think that that is a cultural change, not just a process change. It's a different way of thinking about how you evolve the platform. Yes, exactly. And actually, right now, there is, a, I would say, already a huge success. So I'm just on the Jakarta e-page. So the strategic members are Fujitsu, IBM, Oracle, Payara, Red Hat, and Tommy Tribe. And participating members, we have CloudBees, Microsoft, Vadin, SAP, Pivotal. So it's just crazy. I mean, there are like lots of companies already participating. And what's really I'm curious about, do you know the story behind Microsoft? They just participating or had they some, you have some talks with Microsoft? What's, what's the story behind? Uh, so they're participating. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
they actually wrote a blog post when we did the launch back in April and said that, you know, specifically they were joining because they want to be part of this new evolution of the Java platform. Uh, and it's part, I think it's part of an overall outreach strategy um, that they've got about trying to make Microsoft Azure more attractive for Java developers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as we all know, the world is changing to a, to a cloud-based world mm-hmm. and Microsoft is uh, definitely trying to attract workloads to Azure. And so making sure that they have excellent Java support and are seen by Java developers as active participants is something that they're very interested in doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, also a question regarding profiles. Um, so there was a like, hitting discussion. I also participated a little bit about, uh, you know, the scale of the profiles, Jakarta profiles. And, um, what interests me is your opinion. It's not the you know community opinion, your personal pragmatic opinion. So my point of view is, so the profile has have to be pragmatic. They have to know solve use cases. We shouldn't introduce profiles just because we can, or you know we can do something smaller. It has to be a use case. And there is a no. This is a very controversial topic because uh, people say, okay, we have to uh, use profile, uh, no, so micro, uh, no micro profile rather than nano profile, like the core profile, the legacy profile. And uh, what I'm afraid of a little bit is the fragmentation. So if we get, you know, a couple of profiles, then we get, you know, the name E4J, which is hopefully not visible, but right now a little bit is because uh, it's just, uh, uh, we have, this happened one year ago, the the full E4J. Then we have Jakarta E and we get a couple of names with the profiles. So right now in Java E, it's like everyone uses usually the full profile. The web profile is there. It's a little bit smaller, but I have to admit I never used that because there was no point of using, you know, using web profile in order to reduce the download size by 10% or something like this. And what's your personal opinion about profiles and Jakarta E? So, so I, I mostly agree with everything you just said. I think we have to be pragmatic. I think they, that profiles, care has to be taken in adding, um, adding additional profiles. I do think that, um, or I would say I hope mm-hmm. that the microprofile community joins the Jakarta EE community once we get the new spec process up and running. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that evolves to become the Jakarta EE micro profile mm-hmm. i think that would be that would be a reasonable path for that technology and i think that was part of you know was really part of the jiv, original vision for what was going to be java ee9 mm-hmm. um so that so i think that but i think I, I share your concern about creating a whole bunch of profiles but so i, I let me put it a different way i think it's it's a complicated story and we're going to feel our way through through this going forward Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different interests in both directions, but what I can say is, so I've been on the JCP executive committee for something like 12 years now. Uh, I think I'm now the third most tenured person on the, on the JCP executive committee. And I can remember the process that had led to the creation of the web profile. And it just seemed insanely political. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part that I want to try to take out of this equation is is that when there is is we want to make it hard enough to create a new profile that we don't end up 
with a whole bunch of profiles for no good reason. Because that you're right, that just fragments everything unnecessarily. And this was but actually the problem of Eclipse ideas, remember. I was a huge fanboy, Eclipse fan, fanboy, Eclipse 3, as it came out. I exactly remember what you said with the OSGI and the legacy plugin story. And then we got so many flavors of Eclipse um, that I got asked by you know uh, developer rookies, Java beginners, you know, which Eclipse should I download? J Eclipse for Java, Eclipse for testers, Eclipse for modeling or whatever. And I was confused at the end. Now it is it's a little, it's a lot better than it was three years ago or something like this. And a little bit afraid that the same could happen to Jakarta E. Well, uh, the difference is, is that with Jakarta, there is going to be a specification committee that is going to be just explicitly deciding which new profiles can be created. Um, Where is with the you know the IDE packaging? It's it was relatively easy for somebody to say, "Hey, I've got a reason why I want to uh, want to want to create a new new package." And away they went. There wasn't by design. There was not a lot of oversight. Um, whereas on the profile um, on the profile question, I think there is going to be quite a bit of quite a bit of oversight. Oh, that's actually good news. So the actually the committers uh, could decide, no. and I think the committers are the usually most of them are also the runtime committers. And they no, are no, more I said, I said the, mm -hmm. no, it's, I said it's the Jakarta EE specification committee. Okay. Um, so there's elected committer reps on that, but mm -hmm. then there's also the strategic members of the Jakarta E working group. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, and so there's going to be uh, a lot of care taken around the profiles because part of the reason, and part of the reason why is the vendors mm -hmm. who would have to implement and provide long-term support for the profiles are going to be involved in making the decisions. And of course these become um, for, you know, you, you can, you can have various opinions on whether or not companies should have a seat at the table uh, for these kinds of technical decisions, but the, but they have, they ha have to be pragmatic because they're ultimately going to be um, basing their business on the, these decisions so I think that's actually an example of where it's good to have them around the table. So uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to lots of conversations about what are the right profiles to create. I do think that we should have some kind of approach um, which is code code first. So if somebody wanted to create a you know a sort of a packaging of a bunch of uh, specs to say, hey. I think there's a market for this profile. Let's try it out in open source. And again, once it's demonstrated that it solves a problem and that, that people want to use it, then perhaps we, we create another profile, not exactly. just sort of, you know, arguing about this in the abstract. Yeah. Let's, do it. Let's do it in open source, prove that it works, prove that it solves a problem, prove that people care, and then we can talk about doing something at the spec level. Exactly. And uh, 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 about the committee of the Jakarta E, in order to participate in the committee, you will have to be the strategic member, right? There's yeah, The strategic members automatically get a seat. Yes. Then there's, a, then there's elected representation from the enterprise members, from the solution members, and the committer members. Exactly. So you could be a committer and end up being elected to committee, and you could also participate as a member is a company membership and you will also get a seat as in the committee right exactly perfect so thank you a lot for the conversation where yep. can people 
find you on the internet and um, your Twitter handle and um, online presence. Yeah, so uh, Twitter is what I use most, uh, other than email, of course. Uh, and my handle on Twitter is M Malinkoff. Um, okay. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it, we'll see you on Twitter. So, thank you a lot. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.